Amen, amen. What is up, church? How's that for a I'm not even looking at you. How is everybody? Good. Hey, it's okay to celebrate, right? Like this is Advent. Like we are celebrating Jesus, right? We are celebrating his birth. We are celebrating that he's alive. We are celebrating that he's living in us, in his spirit, giving us power and doing all sorts of things around the world. It is okay to celebrate. Man, we are so Midwest sometimes. Uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, especially getting ready for this season, if you are somebody who uh, is a little more expressive, be that. Celebrate. Be expressive. In worship, you can raise a hand. You can clap. You can do, I know there's a lot of us that are like, nope, I'm not going to do that. That's a little too much for me. I'm really, really joyful on the inside. Like on the inside, I'm exploding. I will save my celebration and clapping and cheering for the football game. But in church, that is not the place for it. And I want to encourage you, those that do feel comfortable, hey, let's celebrate. It's Christmas. There's good reason to celebrate. Amen? Amen. All right. That was slightly better. Uh, after church today, uh, we are hosting a little lunch for college students. Uh, so hopefully you RSVP'd. Uh, if you did not RSVP or tell us you were going to come, there still may be pizza for you. Uh, but after church, head on downstairs. It's just a chill kind of hangout, pizza, drinks, all that stuff. And uh, we'll hang out for a little bit and, and get to know one another. How many of you... Want Jesus to speak into your life? Raise your hand. Almost everybody. How many of us really want Jesus to speak into our lives? Jesus, I got a question. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in life. I don't know what I'm supposed to major in. I don't know what job I'm supposed to take. Jesus, please tell me. Jesus, I don't know if this person that I'm in a relationship is the one. Could you please send a signal, like put a nice little cross shape over their head and illuminate it so I can see it? Because really, I don't know. Please reveal this to me. Jesus, our marriage is broken, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how, how to talk anymore. I don't know what steps to take. I don't, it's broken. Jesus, we need you to help. Jesus, I, my kids are all over the place. Some are making good decisions. Some are making poor decisions. Jesus, I need you to step in and intervene. Please reveal yourself. Reveal your plan. Question, how would you respond if and when Jesus does reveal his plan? How would you respond? Once upon a time, I was a college student, and uh, I was sitting, kind of going through life. I became a Christian when I was in college, and I started taking youth ministry classes and really developed this love for ministry. And I was sitting here wondering what I'm supposed to do. 
I majored in business. Am I supposed to go get a business job somewhere? I tried that. It didn't work all that great for me. And then I slowly started to tip my toe into ministry and found out that's where Jesus was calling me. That revelation has transformed my entire life. If you were to ask Jesus a question that you really want him to show up and transform and reveal the answer to right now, what is that question for you? I don't know about you, but I I would imagine most of us are sitting here with this deep longing, this deep need, this deep desire that we want Jesus to show up in and speak to. What is that for you? Write it down. Get out your phone, type a note, say this is what it is. This is what I'm hoping for. I'm not even the point where I can pray about it yet, but I'm hoping that Jesus will read my mind and step into my life and reveal something. What is that for you? What is that thing you're hoping for? What is that thing you are longing for? See, Christmas is all about revelation. It's about this divine announcement, this revelation that transforms our lives. I've been reading through this Advent devotional called Honest Advent. And there's this chapter on Revelation, something I really uh, enjoy and has really caused me to start thinking about what does it mean to receive the gift of a revelation, of an announcement. See, we all could sit here in, in hope and pray that Jesus comes down, speaks to us, or the Spirit becomes so alive that it's completely undeniable that it's the Spirit speaking to us. Maybe we're in like a Starbucks uh, Line waiting for our coffee, and then boom, just like that, the Spirit comes in, like shows up, and, and speaks a word to you, a revelation to you that transforms the rest of your life. If you don't like Starbucks, put whatever line you're standing in in place there. But what would happen? Like we all hope and we all pray for that, right? We pray for that kind of breaking into our everyday life where Jesus becomes so real, so tangible that it changes our lives. And that's a story we would tell for the rest of our lives, isn't it? Remember that one time waiting for my mocha? Boom, Jesus spoke. Changed the course of my life. Remember that one time in Target? sitting there looking at the toy aisle and Jesus just showed up and spoke and and completely changed the trajectory of my life. How would you respond? In, In this devotional Advent, the author says this, all great stories come at a cost. And the cost of revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. Any divine announcement, you receive revelation as a gift, yet at the same time, you receive notice that all that you had planned is ending. 
everything will change. Most all of you. And maybe that's a welcome change, but maybe not so much. And maybe you're ready for transformation. Most likely there's areas in your life you're ready for transformation and and there's areas of your life that you wish Jesus would leave alone for a little while. The author says this, but the rub of revelation is that it's the transformation you're not in charge of. So if you could have that revelation in your life, if you could have the Holy Spirit speak, what would you want Jesus to say? What would you want Jesus to reveal? He says this, Revelation is a hard gift to receive. You must give up everything else to receive it. It's like finding a treasure in a field and then selling everything you have to get that treasure. That's pulled from Matthew 13, verse verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then... And then, in his joy, went and sold everything he had to buy that field. Have you bought the field? The Christmas story, after 400 years of seemingly God being silent on earth, right? Like the ark of scripture, we have uh, the nation of Israel, we have God rescuing them, we have the story documenting their existence, and then we have the nation of Israel turning away from God, chasing after other things, and then all these prophets are coming to call them back. And then according to scripture, we have 400 years where there's not much that God is saying. At least not evidence of it. And then we have the Christmas story, which begins when God's people are under oppression in the Roman government, Roman rule. Everyone is poor. They couldn't go to Starbucks. They couldn't go to Target. Everyone was poor. The Romans were oppressing them, taking more than they need to. And this was a dire situation. And people are hoping and praying for the divine revelation, the divine announcement of a new king to come. In the next couple weeks, we'll talk about it because the king came just not in the way that they hoped he would. So they're hoping for a king to come in with a military, strong, mighty, and just completely take over. A a military that can match the Roman military. That could come and just demolish everything and rescue God's people once again. Turned out, it was a little different. 
plan was a little different. And we have the revelation, the divine announcement coming on earth. Looked a little different than what everybody was expecting or hoping for. And today I want to look at just two of the responses to that revelation. And ask us the question, as we are revealed who Jesus is, how do we respond in our lives? Like, how does this actually make a difference in our lives? Aside from what we do on a Sunday morning. And the, the author of the Honest Advent says, but Mary, Mary was the one that received the revelation. And she was willing to accept the cost of the revelation. And she finds herself in the deepest of stories. Stories that are so mysterious, divine, and human that we still tell them today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, I want to just highlight there are two divine announcements here that happen from an angel. And there's two responses to that revelation, to that divine announcement. In both, lives were changed and transformed forever. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. They were both very old. Set the stage. We have Zechariah, he's a priest, he's godly, he's holy, he's married to Elizabeth. They are old, well beyond childbearing years. Skip down to verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be Afraid. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. John, the one that prepares the way for Jesus. The one that comes into the world and goes, the king is here. Everyone, pay attention. Everyone, open your eyes. Everyone, repent. The king is here. That John. How do you think Zechariah would respond to that news? He's old. They've been trying to have a kid forever. They've gone through that pain, that torment, that struggle. And then an angel shows up. 
Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Yeah, I've been praying for a very long time. It's about time. How does Zechariah meet that news, meet the revelation? He meets it probably with a healthy dose of skepticism. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. I think Zechariah responds how most of us would. How do I know this is going to happen? Like, I know you're an angel. I'm afraid. Like, this is crazy. I'm startled. Like, I don't know how to handle this news. And you just told me uh, my wife is pregnant. And I think that's impossible. I think he receives the news like any of us would. Really? How, how, how do I know? Like, I hear what you're saying, but how do I know that's actually going to take place? Notice the doubt. Notice the skepticism. Notice the, I need more information here to know if this is true or not. This is a, I don't believe you. Give me more information so I can know that this is actually going to happen. And then I think this is a funny part of the story. Angel said, hey, I'm Gabriel, just so you know. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news that you aren't receiving very well, Zechariah. And now you will be silent. (laughs) You'll be silent. I think it's because God's saying, I don't want you to mess this up. So you can no longer speak. Why? It seems a little rash, doesn't it? You're not believing, Zechariah. You are not receiving this revelation with trust, with faith. You are skeptical. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us would respond the same way. God, are you sure? Because I don't see how you could really show up and do this in my life. God, are you sure? Because I don't know how you can heal this thing, these thoughts in my brain that I have. I don't know how you can deliver me from them. God, are you sure? Because I don't know if I can heal and have a really great marriage. God, are you sure? Because I don't know if I can heal in this friendship. How many times does Jesus speak into our lives, the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives, and our response is, are you sure? I'm going to need more evidence here. It's amazing in this Christmas story because it's so real, it's so authentic. Because you and I would have that response. Gabriel goes away, comes back a little later, and shows up to Mary. 
in Mary, Luke 1, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Lord Most High, and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and the kingdom will never end. And Mary responds with a question. Notice, what's the difference between Zechariah responding and Mary responding? Now, note, Mary was just told, yeah, I know you're not married yet. I know you've got this great plan, like you've got this wedding set eight months out, like you've been saving, you're still working on the little invitations and putting all the things together. I know you've got this great plan, Mary, but guess what? It's all going to change now. You're going to have a kid. And you don't even get to name the kid. (laughs) His name's going to be Jesus. And this revelation means that you are caught up in this amazing, incredible story that will be told forever and will forever change the world. From this moment on, the world is changed forever. So I think it's warranted that Mary has some questions, right? Hey, how can this be? How can this be? I am a virgin. I think it's a warranted question, right? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. We have Zechariah's response. Hey, I'm going to need some more evidence here. I'm going to need some proof. I'm doubting. I'm skeptical. Even though you're an angel. We have Mary's response. Most theologians think this, how can this be, is exactly that. How on earth can this happen because this isn't logical? The angel goes, yeah, I know. Let me explain a little more. And then what is Mary's response? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary's whole life just changed like that. Every aspect of her dreams... Every aspect of her hopes all changed in a blink of an eye. Do 
Mary then a little bit further in the chapter. We see Mary's fuller response to this news. If you go to verse 46, it's Mary's song. And it's this beautifully written song. And it's almost like Mary is sitting there in her own moment. After all this sinks in, she's expressing herself to God. In singing a song, worshiping, praising God. And this is what she says. uh, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he is mindful of the humble state of his servant from now in all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. So Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What did Mary meet this announcement with? Zechariah meets it with skepticism, with doubt. I'm going to need some more information for me to really believe this. Mary meets it with joy. This is her response. I'm going to need a clarifying question here. And after that, oh, okay, that's how it's going to work? Great. I am filled with joy that I get to be a part of this story in this way. See, Mary's joy was not that life is easy right now, right? Mary's joy was not like all the circumstances are lined up. Her joy isn't like we're making enough money to make ends meet. We have enough money to buy Christmas presents this year. All my relationships are going well in my life. No, Mary's joy had to do with something else. Because the circumstances were not great in her life. If you haven't noticed, she's going to have a baby without her husband. Explain that. A little bit of faith there that, that, to make that relationship keep working. So everything in her life just got turned upside down. And the circumstances weren't great. Things weren't going according to plan. But yet she responds with joy. And it's this forward-looking joy. It's based on something greater than her current circumstances and her current conditions. With joy, Mary sings this beautiful song that anticipates God's justice and righteousness here on earth. Mary's joy comes from realizing that God is delivering on his promises, that he's heard the cry of his people, and he is coming in to once again rescue and restore and redeem the world.
The theologian N.T. Wright says that joy, that this joy that Mary was experiencing is not natural human joy that we find when life is generally going well. I would argue that would be happiness, not joy. It's one thing to be happy when life's circumstances and conditions are generally what you hope they would be. But there's something deeper, more profound to following Jesus than just being happy when things are going well, right? There is joy. He says this joy is the joy of discovering that Israel's God was at least doing the thing that he had promised. He's rescuing his people from exile and providing forgiveness, restoration, and a new life. There's something deeply profound about Christian joy. It's looking forward and it's intimately connected to hope. Someday, Jesus will intervene. Someday, things will be made right again. That light will burst into the darkness, whatever that darkness is, because I have faith and hope that the light is stronger than the darkness. A hope for restoration, a hope for healing. And the hope that the people of God would experience A world without pain, oppression, brokenness, loneliness, struggle, and grief. And we see this idea throughout the entire New Testament. This idea of joy. Acts 13.52, the followers of Jesus were rejected and persecuted. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10. There was sorrow, yet Paul says, I am rejoicing because my joy is not based on current conditions. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on Jesus. James says, hey, when there's trials in your life, consider it pure joy because of the work that Jesus is going to do when you go through those trials. And Paul, sitting in prison, In Philippians 4, 4 through 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Even though I'm in prison, even though I don't know if I'm going to be killed or not, even though I'm in jail, my circumstances are horrible. Yet because of Jesus is who he says he is, that is why I can be joyful. Eugene Peterson says this. I've been wrestling with this quote for a couple years now. Eugene Peterson is a pastor. He passed away. Brilliant. Brilliant pastor. He says this. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. It is not what we have to acquire in order to experience the life of Jesus. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way 
of faith and obedience. See, joy is not a requirement to be a Christian. Joy isn't something like you gotta work at, right? You gotta put on my calendar, be more joyful. When the circumstances go my way, be more joyful. No, no, no. Jim Peterson says this, joy is a consequence, a byproduct of a life that's lived in Jesus. So question, are you joyful? How was the car ride to church today? How how was shoveling snow yesterday? Were you joyful? How is your joy these days? If you're anything like me, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? There's times when I'm joyful and there's times when I'm definitely not joyful. And that's an invitation for me, invitation for us to lean into our relationship with Jesus. A lack of joy usually means I'm not spending enough time in the presence of Jesus. I'm not aware enough of him in my life. I haven't realized the impact of the divine announcement in my life. Maybe my habits and things that I'm doing aren't pointing me to Jesus as much as they need to be. So when I find myself lacking in joy in my life, it's an invitation for me. Sometimes I wonder if one of the most powerful things that we could do as a church and as a community is be people of joy, be people of trust, be people of hope, be people that witness that Jesus is alive and working in this world. I don't know about you, but I think we could use more of that in the world. And it's not something we can fabricate. It's something that comes as a result of you and I spending time with the king. So, as we close, the worship team could come up. The question is, how are you responding to the divine revelation? In your life, do you find yourself more like Zechariah? Or do you find yourself more like Mary? Most likely somewhere in between. Because 
Jesus has been revealed. We aren't in the spot where we're like Zechariah and Mary hearing this for the first time. Jesus is revealed to you and I. It's our choice of how we're going to respond to it. Jesus, I pray that even this morning you would be more real to us. And that would show up in our life in places like we are more filled with joy because of who you are. Amen.